Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed gibble. And that includes my friend, Dr. Andy. Well, how was your Thanksgiving? Good morning. It was it was a whirlwind, as they usually are. Um, it was great. We had awesome turkey and a great ribeye roast and yummy. Oh, you did turkey and ribeye roast. I wanted the roast. <laughs> yes, I would too. That sounds wonderful. The first time I ever did one and it was amazing and easy. Easier than a turkey? I've gotten the tr- Okay, so for the turkey, I spatchcock it. What? I know. It sounds like a very dirty word, isn't it? It's that... <laughs> Um, it's butterflying it. So you cut out the backbone and then I have Sean do CPR on it, break the, the breastbone and it flattens out the bird. We dry brine it and it, this 10 pound bird cooked for one hour on the Traeger and it was done. Wow. Easy. That's nice. And then my dogs eat the backbone because it's raw bones. Nice. They got, they got that for breakfast. Oh, mm-hmm. and it didn't kill them. No, no, they, they seem perfectly pleased with all of that. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, people are always asking me, you know, what's the safest bone? So we have all these bones, right, on the website, and people constantly call me or email me. They're like, I have this dog. What's the safest bone? And the truth of the matter, uh, Dr. Andy, is, I mean, all bones inherently have risk, Okay. Um, and I can't really tell you what's the safest bone for your dog because I don't know your dog. Right. And the backbone is a lot of bone, right? Like that's all the vertebrae has little ribbies, you know, sticking off of where Sean cut it. But, um, I also know my dogs were going to chew it. See, I think that's almost the, one of the X factors with what's a good bone for my dog. Well, are they going to gulp it down? Are they going to chew it? How big is your dog? Like I know mine were going to chew it. So they were going to break it up a little bit. So So did you, did you give bone to the smallest and the largest of your brain? Just the bigs, just the bigs got that. Okay. Just the bigs. Yeah. Now, typically guys, I would say this for the little ones, I would always say, give your dog a bone that is larger than its head. Right. Or larger than the than the esophagus, because then they have to really crunch on it. They're not going to be able to swallow it. But even if they do. I was talking to Carmen Goudreau, who I don't know if you're you're familiar with her, but but she's been feeding raw and raising uh, Bouvier's for and showing Bouvier's and taking care of dogs for 40 years. So I had her on the podcast early on when I started this podcast and we we were talking about this subject if a dog were to swallow a bone and you felt that it was too big of a bone and that they were having now there's a difference if they're walking around and they're panting and they're having issues 
you know, that could that could be something. But she did say this before she would do anything else. She would give them a lot of raw food around that bone. In addition to that bone, so that it so that it compacts it and helps move it out of the body. And to that point, I did do that. They had a couple extra ounces of their meat with it, and then they had less at dinner. They had the total amount over the day, but I did give them more meat as that bolus to go along with that extra bone that they got. Do you know that she told me that one time she had a puppy get into her tailoring needles? You know those? And the puppy ate 38 of them or 38 of them came out, I think she okay. said. But she um, gave them, you know, raw. Mm -hmm. And she said there was no puncture. There was no problem. There was no, you know, mm -hmm. it ruined my dog's sphincter. Uh, nothing like that. <laughs> and I had, to, had to just slip that in. <laughs> we got to get the sphincter in every show. Um, but so I think that there's obviously, again, there's a lot of fear. Mm -hmm around bones and that fear primarily guys comes from the cooked bones again or these ridiculous deer antlers now i know that a lot of people mm -hmm. do that i don't even know that a dog could actually swallow it but mm -mm. a couple of years ago actually it's probably about four years ago now there was a customer who had given their dog an antler and somehow this dog got it swallowed and it punctured a lung and it died oh wow uh, yeah but those are so incredibly hard Rare. how how in the world i don't even know how a dog would mm -mm. swallow that right mm -hmm. but just re just remember guys around the holiday season do what dr andy did that's give the dog the raw bone you know before you do any kind of cooking to it at all whether that is a steak bone whether that is you know whatever it's raw 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 yep did i say raw yeah you said raw. so <laughs> that's you're, you're going to be safe if you do that all right so dr andy we're going to talk about the pancreas today because it's something that a lot of people um you know a lot of people talk about pancreatitis and that sort of thing but uh, we want to help them understand what the pancreas does so maybe they can understand what's going on with their dog a little bit better um, you talked about the pancreas or you got this question on your raw live that you do every Tuesday here at Denver time at 630? six 630? It's going to be yeah. a long time before I ever get all this information about you. Totally correct, I think. As long as I know it, I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what up with me? Um, all right. But before we do that, I always want to ask you some chiropractic questions, because after all, that's what you are, Dr. Andy. You are a doctor of dog and cat or animal, as we would say, because I think, you know, you do horses, did horses. Did, did. And dogs that are the size of horses. Yes, on occasion. And <laughs> getting uh, fewer and fewer of those. But anyway, I want to talk to you about some different techniques in 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 chiropractic um for dogs because there are some people that would say um unless you are actually manipulating the spine with the hands then it's not a good technique 
something like a spinal accelerometer. But you, I want to hear um, your opinion and your expertise on are these valuable ways to adjust a dog and are there any ways that are just that you would say are crap? Actually, no. Um, all of the courses, I mean, take a course if you're a chiropractor or a veterinarian, you need to learn angles of the joints and all that jazz. But no, I don't think any of them are crap. Um, the one that gets beat up the most, especially by us chiropractors, animal chiropractors is called the BOM. It's a veterinary orthopedic manipulation. And they use, what did you call it? The accelerator. I call it an activator. It's essentially the same tool as your chiropractor would use on you called the activator. And the VOM was actually developed by a veterinarian. So that might be the biggest prejudice. Um, he noticed when he sent clients to a chiropractor, how much better his patients got. So I give him credit for paying attention and, <laughs> and actually looking into it even further and realizing um, its validity. And then his technique, that VOM, yes, you, you can take the course. Um, I have not taken the course. I've actually looked into taking it just to get the information because I'm sure it's a little different than what I learned. And maybe there's some, you know, gems in there. Um, but the activator just, all it does is it goes down and it's two pronged and it goes down from the head to the tail. So it's only going to go down the vertebrae. And I think they do that twice. And that's the process. I could be a little off on a little bit of that. It's been a while, um, but there are no looking at the joints. There's no looking at, you know, the legs. It, that's all it is, is two times down the spine, um, putting that information into the nervous system and then allowing the body to do what it needs to do. Nothing wrong with that. My animals had, a, had it done. A couple of them had it done by another chiropractor that I knew. Um, I can't say that I noticed anything, but they didn't have anything going on. You know, they, I adjust them. I, you know, they're well-adjusted animals. So, but they like, they were fine with it. I do find that the animals don't like that tool very much. I think that might be the biggest issue is because it's, it's a little jarring. It's a, it's a little noisy and they don't seem to like it very much. Well, and in that case, you would want to, to, move away from that, not move away from chiropractic. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you would just want to move away from that particular technique because I agree, you know, that sounds like, you know, Rick has really worked and gotten Lozzie and Asta both very familiar with the sound of a Dremel, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Because he's getting ready to trim their toes, right? And he uses this Dremel um, versus cutting them. And they they've learned to be okay with it. Not that they love it. They're like, Oh gosh, uh, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to mess with my feet. But, um, but I think you could work at that. But a lot yeah. of pet parents will just say, my dogs don't like chiropractic. That's not necessarily so. So they need to move to more of a manual adjustment, yeah. a hands-on yeah. adjustment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I use in my practice, what's called an arthrostim. So it's plugged into the wall and it taps really fast and I have it on really low. So it doesn't make much noise. And 98% of all the dogs are like, oh, that's just fine. No problem with that. Some are like, you touch me again with that woman with that. And I, you know, woman, I'm going to, you know, fly off this table. So I don't use it with them. 
Um, I tried doing a lot with the Arthrostim many years ago, and I just personally found it did not get the results that I wanted to get with my clients. I used my hands for 80% of the appointment. Plus, that is what the animal is used to being touched, right? Like generally petting, mm -hmm. touching, you know, rubbing, they're all usually pretty cool with that. The adjustment then is a little different, right? They're like, Ooh, what was that? But they're more used to the hands. And then I have some animals that are like, don't touch me and only use that tool. So, oh, wow. yeah. So it just kind of depends on just like every body is different is how I put that. I think I've asked you this before, but do you know if a dog is going to snap at you? Um, the vast majority of them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've really almost just shy of 20 years. I only say I've been bit five times, like an actual bite on a daily basis. I have teeth put on me. They come back around and they, they kind of hit my hand or they'll knock my arm or whatever. And that I just call, that's a, Hey, you know, like watch it. Like I don't, but there's a different energy to it. There is an energy behind that, that I can pick up on at this point that, um, if I, I, I say, you know, go ahead, lady, do it again. I'll bite you. And then they get a muzzle, they get a muzzle. So we muzzle them up. Um, and so this is my soapbox. Every owner, every dog should be muzzle trained. You never know when you need it. Because again, 80% of the time, the first time a dog ever has a muzzle on their face is in my office. Um, so, so, so how do you do a muzzle train? How do you train your dog? You just put it on him a couple of minutes a day or, or yeah, how, not how even, not even you start, well, depend what muzzle you want. If you want to just do a soft muzzle or a cage muzzle, um, both of those can be found on Amazon and at Petco, um, and you can pick them up. Um, the cage muzzles, if you're going to need it for out and about so they can breathe, pant, drink water. The soft muzzles are only for minimal amounts of time, like an adjustment, like a nail trim, like a shot at the vet's office. Um, and they keep the mouth completely closed. But you just kind of hold it up to the nose and you put a treat on the other side or peanut butter on the other side. And they can only get it if they put their face in and you start there for a week or two. And then it slowly goes up on their nose a little bit and they get cookies and then you're done. And then you clip it around their head and they get a lick or cookie and then you're done. And they're just at least exposed to it because you never know when you might need that tool in your back pocket. Gotcha. Good to know. So Good. All, of my, all of my dogs are muscle trained. So that's a good Christmas present for your dog. There you go. <laughs> He's like, oh, thanks so much. I love it. That's like a sweeper for a for a wife. But actually, <laughs> actually, I would love a, me I would too. Love a vacuum. <laughs> I know I'd love a vacuum too. Actually, my my husband's really great about uh I've got I've got some great vacuums. And for those of us who have lots of pets or mm -hmm. pets that have, you know, a lot of hair, we we like these really, really nice sweepers. Yes. Yes. Sean has not been brave enough to buy me one, even though I tell him I would love one. <laughs> I have to. Next, he still ne thinks he's going to get in trouble. <laughs> next time I'm over, I'll, I'll uh, share with you the ones that I have. And they're okay. excellent. They're excellent. Um, all right. So we're going to talk a little bit about the pancreas, the pancreas, because, you know, 
people don't really know a lot about the organs in their dogs. And the, and the thing about it is, is that the organs have a purpose and they, when things happen in your animals, you can pinpoint it a little bit better if you understand what the organ does. So in your last um, email, you came out with the pancreas and why the pancreas is a vital organ. So would you share that with our listeners today? What's up with the pancreas? Well, the pancreas is a highly vital organ and it's a gland and it has, it does two things. It has, and it's one is called exocrine and one's endocrine. So your exocrine portion handles all your enzymes. So the pancreas is actually involved in digestion, which I don't think people really realize. They think of maybe the mouth, the stomach, the intestines, you know, the anus or the sphincter, right? We could add that in there. Right. Um, but they don't generally think of the pancreas as involved in digestion as much as it is. And it does, it, it, dis, it um, secretes, there we go, secretes and um, kind of collects all of the types of enzymes. It does protease, amylase, lipase, and it also does a lot of the bicarbonate that changes the pH after the chyme leaves the stomach. So that pancreas is a busy little organ. And that's just half of its function. The hormonal side, the endocrine part of it um, is your insulin and your glucagon. So it manages your blood sugar, which I think people are a little more familiar with mm-hmm. um, in the hormonal part of the pancreas, but it's a very busy little organ in there. You know, people call me all the time and they say, do you have raw pancreas? And I say, no. And <clears throat> here's why the pancreas in its raw form, guys, although great to feed, um, is very unstable in its raw form. It's hard to keep it uh, stable. Uh, so that for, for and, and there are some companies I think that have it, but we just don't. Um, because it is very, very tough to keep it in its good form. What, what, what kind of things would you see if the pancreas was having a problem? Um, well, the pancreatitis is probably your most common, sorry, I just hit the microphone, um, most common, um, diagnosis these days, right? And most of those are idiopathic. There's some suspicions that it can be diet diet related. I see as a chiropractor, if their um, lower thoracic spine is severely painful, Mm. that will relate to the pancreas. So if we're having some digestive issues like pancreas, not pancreas, like vomiting, not wanting to eat, and that's really sore, that can be your suspicion that there's pancreatitis. Sometimes it's an acute attack. Sometimes it's just chronic and subclinical. Um, so uh, some of our, I wonder how much of our, this is just a question of our digestive issues are actually pancreatic in nature. And we run to the probiotics, which would not necessarily support the pancreas at all. And that kind of goes back to another one of my soapboxes is you start with the digestive enzymes, um, the amylase, the protease, the lipase, there's other ones in there. They're little minor players, but to support the pancreas and its job. So I wonder how much we are seeing is just low grade subclinical pancreatitis in our digestive issues in our dogs. And itis again, is just inflammation. 
anything that's itis, arthritis, um, tendonitis, pancreatitis. As I was looking into these digestive enzymes, very, very important for anybody who is doing a cooked diet, right? You're cooking out all of the enzymes. Yes, the enzymes are gone. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, it's Absolutely. so it's so crazy to me that, you know, Neely and I were talking about this on the last podcast, how many of these cooked diets are out there. And I said on the podcast, Dr. Andy, this, that a lot of complaining and a lot of fear drives an industry that isn't necessarily healthy for us or our dogs, mm-hmm. right? So you've got, and I, I still heard it this week, that's telling people, you're going to kill your dog if you feed them a raw diet. <sighs> so sad. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I don't even have any compassion for that. And mm-hmm. um, for that for that type of, of uh, a narrative. And uh, I, again, the more that I research... And listen to um, documentaries and listen to information that's coming out of the um, medical industry and what they knew, what they didn't know, what the research said about everything that they put us through in those last two years. I go back to the dog world, always the pet world. And I think, oh my gosh, this is the industry that nobody is really asking hard questions. Nobody is asking for the real research. Like I would like to know what they have that, what their basis is. What is their information? What have they seen? What, what do they know? Well, they know what they've been told. And right. I, I was, listening. I just want them to say it. I want them to hear that come out of their mouths. Like what, you know, what is it? Right. And, and that I, I, I don't think that they would come on the podcast. I really don't no, because don't. the, the questions that our team would be asking is things that they could not answer. And if you can't answer it, mm-hmm. right, then then maybe you might not want to be saying it anymore. Mm-hmm. I was listening to Steve Hirsch. Uh, and Steve Hirsch, you guys have got to listen to him. He he talks about all of this information. He he this guy was a they scrubbed a lot of inf- uh, information, but he's like a computer nerd geek guy uh very very wealthy but he he actually he and his family got vaxxed but then he started seeing all these people dying and he was like what the heck's going on so he talks about the information uh that he was trying to get to the nih to the cdc they would not they would not uh look at the information um, he was forsaken by all of his, you know, uh, colleagues and everything like that. Um, but he says the same thing that we say in the about the veterinary world. He said, "Look, they only know what they have been told, and they're too busy to research." And the other part of that is this: if you know, then you have some sort of liability. So best you just don't know. That's also very sad, that last part. Well, right? The, the cover right. your ass part of it, right? Right. It's better not to know. 
Right. It 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 is just it is just ridiculous. And so um we we've got to understand what's happening. And so that's it, sort of coming back to this cooked food, right? And people will contact me and they will say, "Well, I'm going to slowly wean my dog onto raw from cooked." And I think um when we look at these digestive enzymes that the dog is going to be absent of having, it's quite possible that they're going to have an issue as you switch over to raw because you need those digestive enzymes to be able to break this food down. Um, so, you know, we do have the digestive enzymes in the, um, in the supplement section, I wouldn't say just do those automatically. I would say, let's see how we go. But again, just because we're coming out of a cooked or a kibble diet, totally dead food onto a raw diet and the dog vomits, we go back to the same thing or he has, you know, loose stools back to the same thing that we said about the chiropractic work, right? Doesn't yeah. mean it doesn't work. It means that at the moment that technique needs to be changed in some way or they need the body needs to get used to it. And I, I would actually counter that if, if the pet parent is nervous about switching, get a bottle of digestive enzymes, do it. Start putting it on the cooked and put it on the raw and just switch them. It's only going to help. There's no downside to it. And you don't have to keep buying them. And actually, we don't want the body to get used to always having digestive enzymes to support it. Um, I'm looking at when am I going to wean um, Torchy off of his? And right now everyone's on some digestive enzymes, but we rarely ever do that. It's just one of my rotational things that I throw in there um, just to kind of boost up things, remind the body what it's supposed to be doing. And then it goes away. I don't yeah. want the body to get dependent on things. Isn't that amazing and that the body would do that, right? That it says, oh, well, I've got enough of it, so I don't have to produce it anymore. But that yeah. does happen. It does. It really does. And I just hopped on um, ancestral supplements and they have a desiccated beef pancreas supplement. Nice. And so, so. that would be beef is cow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, <laughs> just to clarify. Just to clarify in case, you know, we needed that clarification <laughs> mm -hmm. out there. But. Um, and so that's an option along with the digestive enzymes. Yeah. Yeah. So when you said the word idiopathic, a lot of people go into the vet and um, I'm not sure they understand what that word means. Would you tell them what idiopathic means? Idiopathic means even the idiots can't figure it out. <laughs> that is literally what I tell my clients every time that word comes up. It really, it, it, I think idiot and idiopathic come from the Latin. It is the same. Um, they don't know the cause is what idiopathic means. It means they don't know what's causing the problem. Um, idiopathic. Mm -hmm. it, that's so funny because, you know, people come out and they're like, oh my gosh, it's, it's idiopathic. And yeah. it's like, yeah, that just means exactly what you said. The idiots can't figure it out. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. That's what it means. Um, so most pancreatitis um, cannot be traced back to a cause is what that is. Um, a lot of people do spew out, oh, the dog got into, let's say a bunch of bacon grease somehow in the trash or whatever and caused pancreatitis. Yeah, that, that might 
right? Having a hard time digesting that, that'll do it. Um, and so when they do have that occasional trash um, excursion, yeah, maybe you do want to get some digestive enzymes in them and, or don't feed them <laughs> for a little bit. And yeah, that, pancre that pancreas is a little unhappy. Does that necessarily mean a whole trip to the vet so they can get involved and usually screw it up even more? And I did just say that. Um, I have seen some... Uh, I have seen, I've not been involved. This has been clients coming back anecdotally to, to talk about their experience. Some of what intuitively is the worst management of pancreatitis I have seen by veterinarians in the last year. They do a lot of anti-nausea, anti-vomiting and telling owners to get food in them as much as they can. What? Yes. Um, I don't, and, and I'm the one on the, they're telling me and I'm like, stop feeding them. They're like, no, no, we have to give them the anti-nausea and the anti, all of this. And we have to get food in them. I'm like, no, the digestive system needs a bloody break. Just give it a break. And that is the new, what I can tell out of the last handful of clients that have gone through it. That is what the vets are telling people. They give them the anti-nausea and the anti whatever antis, all the antis, which are not innocuous drugs, by the way, people. Um, and then they're shoveling food in. And I actually talked to a vet tech um, friend of mine. She's, and she's been vet teching for 20 years. She's like, oh, in the early days, we would take them in, we'd put them in a kennel, we'd give them an IV, and then we would watch them and we wouldn't give them any food. <laughs> you know, now in the, in the world of here's a pill to fix all your problems, so just be very aware. Absolutely. Do you need to go in for anything like this? We have, you have to understand that there's a box and that box is not meant for every dog, but, but let me give you a couple of symptoms of when your dog may be having digestive enzyme deficiency. Does your dog burp and fart? Okay. Is he burping and farting? <laughs> you know, he may need some digestive enzyme support or is he regurgitating undigested food? Does he have diarrhea or is he on the other side and, and got constipation? Does he have smelly breath? I have people that will call me sometimes and they'll say, I don't get this. My dog eats a raw diet he doesn't do kibble, so it's not in his teeth, but he's got a really smelly breath. Maybe he needs some digestive enzymes. How about acid reflux? Now, one of the issues that the vets love to give these, you know, acid reducers are when a dog has acid reflux. And we don't see that that is a very good solution, right? We've got to have a good amount of acid in the stomach in, in the digestive system in order to break down the food and certainly bones, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So maybe it's just that they need some digestive enzymes. Maybe you're seeing some undigested food in the stools. Okay. So again, Dr. Andy, you're saying, look, get the digestive enzymes that we have right there they're just digestive enzymes. They're nothing else. There's no probiotic in them or anything like that. It's just digestive enzymes in the supplement section at rawdogfoodandco.com. But it's not like it's going to hurt them 
to put it in there. Now, you do this off and on. Yep. When would you say, how long would you say that they should go through this uh, digestive enzyme addition? And when should they get off? You do a bottle, which is what? Usually 30 days. Yeah. Do a bottle. If you have a small dog, it's a little longer. Okay. Yeah. I Usually I like 30 days on if you're trying or changing anything. You know, oh, I tried that for three days. Does not count. Add a zero. Um, it takes the body a little bit of time. But I, I throw a bottle in every once in a while with my guys. And the other thing that you touched on a little bit, especially with the, the acid reflux, it generally, and I think I've ranted about this previously, if not here on um, the lives, it's generally not too much acid in the stomach. It is generally too little. Most people, most animals are, uh, have too little stomach acid. So the food sits there and ferments, doesn't digest properly. And that's, what's causing the acid. And yes, those acid blockers, the proton pump inhibitors, they are magical. They stop the symptoms instantly and they make the problem worse. So if you're like me and you're like Dee Dee and you actually want to get to the root cause and support the system and the body in correcting itself, you don't settle for the symptoms being alleviated by a little pill. Um, and so those, those drugs in particular in my, my body and my animal's body are a hard no. We do not touch those ever. Um, you actually, I think some of the adored beast actually has betaine hcl in it and that is the hcl that'll help with the digestion and sometimes i believe they have one product that has the enzymes and the hcl in it yeah and you'll cover both birds with one stone yeah the the um the pharmaceutical stuff again i think that we've got to really take a hard look at it what is it doing what's in it and i i you know i ask this question all the time to pet parents that are contacting us and uh, saying, well, you know, my dog has this or my dog has that. And, and so the question always is what pharmaceuticals are we on? And the question that I always ask, what, what has been the uh, vaccine history? And they don't even know that. They don't know that they don't know what kind of vaccines they have certainly no idea what's in the vaccines. And, and, and you guys, I think we got to do a better job for our dogs. There's a lot of things that are in those vaccines that are not good for your pets. There's a lot of things that are being mixed, Dr. Andy, different medications that are being mixed and given and stacked um, that are really toxifying the body. And, and our pet parents may not know that part of it, but I would settle for them at least knowing what they're giving their animals. They walk out with this whole baggie of bottles and they have no idea what they're even supposed to be doing in the body. You know, are they for inflammation? Are they for pain? Are they for, you know, and just look up these drugs. They're very easy to look up and, and see what the side effects are. And, and if that's a road you want to go down with your animal, but at least know what you're giving. Yeah. And I, I think that there's this, um, I have to, uh, because someone said, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I and, and I take it one step further. They said, so I don't have any responsibility now. Mm. And we and like you said, we all need to take a step up and be responsible for our animals. We have to do a better job of knowing what's going on and choosing for them instead of just handing over 
our power to somebody else because they said, because they went to that school. I push back for myself. I certainly push back for my dogs. Right? And I am going to take that risk. Always. And there's always that question, did I do the right thing? You're not going to know. You're not. You're not going to know. And, but, but I've seen so much in this business, right? I've seen death. I mean, you, you talk about EPI and, and, and the pancreas and all of this, Dr. Andy, I've seen at least three dogs that I, that I could name off the top of my head today who were on a kibble diet and these were young. They went in. They were diagnosed with an EBI, EPI and IBS, IBD, whatever they're you know going to name it. And they were put on all of these medications and the dogs kept getting worse. And these pet parents all spent in excess of $5,000. And two of them were told that they just needed to put their dog down. And they called their breeders. The breeder said, before you do that, um, call over Raw Dog Food and Company, get your dog on a raw diet. They did. These dogs are beautiful dogs today. They're not on medication. They're certainly not dead. As Dan Bongino would say, don't get dead. And um, <laughs> he always says that, don't get dead. And um, and they're not on medication. And And so it was really that they just needed to get off that crappy food they were on. Crazy. Yeah. And simple. I wish I had the, I wish I had, yeah, simple and overlooked. I wish I had the numbers Mm -hmm. of, of how many dogs at an early age in life. I mean, you look at Torch, right? Mm -hmm. Torch is doing great now, right? Yes. We have a little bit farther to go, but, and if you read about EPI, you know, they're pretty much, you just on this for life. And that's not my target. We're, we're, we're not going to be dependent on these enzymes for life. Um, so we're going to play with that. We're going to work with that. We're going to go off of it. We're going to go back on it. We're going to just keep trudging forward. But he is doing so much better. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you would like to bring your questions over to Dr. Andy's live, she's going to tell you how to get over to that live and how to get to her for either a chiropractic Maybe you want to do a teleconference. Maybe you want to go see her uh, or you want to do a proper canine diet. How can our listeners find you? The fastest and easiest way to find me is animalmagiccare.com. There's a red button at the top of that page for new clients. If you're in the Denver metro area and want to make a chiropractic appointment in person. Fortunately, I cannot do chiropractic adjustments over the airwaves. Um, I would love to tell you I could, I, I, am not that talented, but we can always, if you are stuck with, um, a lot of vet lingo and you don't know what's going on with your animal pain wise, and you know, they're telling you to do all of these diagnostics and you don't know where it's going to get you and you're overwhelmed. We can definitely have a chat about that. I've been doing a few of those and I just English in English, tell you what the vets are looking for and why they're asking you to do those things. And then I ask you where you land in all of it, because that's the one part that the vets don't do. They like, you need to do this. Well, do you really, where do you, what do you want to go? And so we have those conversations and then we can always do a proper canine um, consult and get your dogs over onto raw. 
and some hand-holding with that. And then I am live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And that is Dr. Andy's World is the page um, that you can find me on. Awesome. Awesome. Get your dog on a species-appropriate diet. I don't know that I've seen too many wild animals sitting out waiting for the food to be cooked. I don't know. It, it would be it would be interesting to see, although they will eat cooked food if you throw it out to them, okay? Uh, but I think you can do this, guys. Uh, a raw diet is super easy. It's not that gross. It isn't. You'll get used to it. You get It's amazing what you get used to. That's right. That's right. Uh, but first and foremost, we got to get those good real digestive enzymes in the dog so we can help the pancreas, uh, pancreas. We can help all those vital organs. You can do that by feeding a raw dog food diet. Get over to rawdogfoodandco.com where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.